Welcome to Lakewood Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com live. Or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. How are y'all doing? Everyone surviving? Everyone happy? Living good, awesome lives this week? Good. Oh, it's good to see you. Hi, Keith. <laughs> Keith McCullers here. <laughs> man, we've been praying so much for you. It's so good to see you in person. Oh, man, it's so good to be the church, isn't it? It's so great that we get to do life together, that we get to do these things together. So I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that as the church, we get to be uh, the family of God together. Let's take a second before we dive into anything else, and let's go to God, and let's just be thankful for a second. Jesus, thank you for the day. God, I ask that you uh, would just help us to realize the privilege that we have to know you. God, thank you for knowing us. Even the spots of us that we don't want to be known by, Father, you know us every, you know us completely. Father, thank you for that. Lord, I ask that today that you would be with us in this room, Lord, that as we open up your word, that you would be the one that speaks to us, that we would be challenged by what you have to say. Father, I ask that I wouldn't get in your way. God, thank you so much that we get to do this. Holy Spirit, I ask you to take these things and that you would put them into our hearts, that you would convict us and that you would cause us to move. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. So we are in the final week of our series, Who You Are. I've really, I've loved this series. I gotta, I, I, I've, I've so much loved going through this series as the church with you. Um, you know, because really what we've been trying to do is we've been asking ourselves two questions throughout the series. The first question is, who are we? And the second question is, what are we supposed to do about that? And so we've endeavored to try to answer those questions a little bit through this series. Now, we know that a series can't cover every base. And so really what we want to do is we want to whet the appetite. We want to cause us to want to step forward and own this and see what God calls us to do with the identity that he's given us. So if I can, let me just start up by saying this. I've really been praying for you guys this week. Whether you're sitting inside this room right now with us or whether you're at home uh, not able to be here with us. And if you are at home, understand that we love you guys, we miss you, and we cannot wait uh, to be all in the same place again. Uh, but at the same time, I've just been praying for you guys this week. My prayer has been that really all of us will come to an understanding and a peace with who we are in Jesus. Because really that changes everything. And everything that we're called to do here in this world, it changes that. Because these things are no longer efforts for us to obtain our place with Jesus. Instead, they're reactions to the identity that's been given to us by Jesus already. And so today we're going to start, uh, we're going to start like we've been doing every week. One of my favorite parts of every Sunday is we've decided that we're going to start by declaring who Jesus says we are as a church. We're going to declare it out loud. And so I'm going to ask that you would repeat after me and that we'd work through these things together. So here we go. Here's the first thing we're going to declare today. I am the workmanship of God. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. I am in, made in God's image. 
So God created man in his own image, Genesis 1.27. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I am known by God. Psalm 139. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I am forgiven. Own that. <laughs> Sorry for cutting you off. <laughs> I am forgiven. Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I am a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I am chosen. First Peter 2, 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I am a child of God. Romans 8, 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I am loved. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's who you are. And we need to pick that up every week. Before we dive into all this other stuff, we need to hit that. That's who you are. You're God's workmanship. You're made in his image. You're known. You're forgiven. You are a new creation. You are chosen. You are a child of God. You are loved. You don't have to act like these things. You are these things. Not because you're a good person or because you've done anything to obtain them. You are these things because Jesus says you are. It's a gift. And gifts can't be earned. They can only be accepted. But as we talk about our identity in Christ, one thing that we have to hit is this, that there's a lot more to this gift than what it seems like at first. And it may be a little bit more difficult to accept this gift than it seems at first because Jesus offers us a new identity, but identities are one of those things that unless we have a really bad mental illness, we can't carry more than one at a time. God gives us a new identity, and for us to be able to accept that identity, we have to put down our old self. We have to lay down our old identity before we can accept our new one. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we just went through that. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all, all things have become new. To become new, the old things have to pass away. They have to die. When I was in high school, I got to go on a backpacking trip. I used to think it was fun to put on a really heavy backpack and trek through mountains and wilderness and stay in tents. I still find the tenting part fun, but the whole trekking through part's not so much anymore. But there was this one time where we decided that we were going to take a challenge. It's called the Eagle Rock Loop. It's in the Ouachita Mountains. It's a 26-mile loop. You summit seven times over the loop. It's hard. It's so hard that they even have little badges and medals they give out when you actually finish it. And so we decided in high school that we were going to do this. And so what we did was this. We'd pack up, we'd drive out to the big camp that, that was the very beginning camp, and once we got there, they would have all of our equipment lined up and ready for us to go. But imagine if I had gone out to walk on this loop, and I step into this place, and I have my own bag. 
my little backpack that I brought with me and has all the stuff that I think I need for the trip, all the stuff that will make me comfortable for the trip. And so I come up and I say, this is my bag and I got to take this and that one. They look at me and say, you're going to die. You can't carry two bags. You don't need the other bag. And I would say, no, you don't understand. All of this stuff I need, I really need my phone charger and I really need all these different things because we have to, you know, I have to have my comfort as we go on this trip. And really I would have to come to the conclusion, either I'm not going on the trip or I'm going to have to put my stuff down and trust that they have packed my bag with everything that I need for the trip. And that's what Jesus is doing with us right now. We come to him with all of our stuff, all the things that define us, and we say, God, I need these things. And God, who has packed our bag, says, no, you don't. In fact, you don't, it's not only that you don't need these things, you will die if you try to bring these things. You won't make the trip if you try to bring all this stuff with you. I've packed everything you need. And for us to be able to take on the journey, we have to let go of what we think we need and take up what we actually need. Or, put another way, we have to let go of who we thought we were to embrace who we actually are. Jesus takes that idea of letting old things pass away and he takes it to another level. It's in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We've heard this verse a lot in our lives, right? We know this verse. If we want to come after me, then you have to, let, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross, and you have to follow me daily. These are, this is a verse that we're very familiar with, but there are three things in this short passage that we really need to wrestle with if we're going to be able to accept the new identity that Christ has given us. And so we're going to dive into it right now. I, I love it when we get to do this kind of stuff where we unpack just one verse together. So let's go through this. The first thing he says is this. If anyone would come after me, that's the first thing we're going to wrestle with. We need to stop and we need to ask ourselves a very important question as we dive into this because Jesus asks us to do some pretty hard things very next. But he starts by saying this. If you would come after me. And so the first question we have after this is this. Do you really want to follow Christ? And I would tell you, Don't answer too quickly. It's a loaded question. You got to want it. Do you really want to follow Christ? Because if the answer is yes, one of the first hurdles that Christ gives us is we have to deny ourselves. That's hard. But it's not about acting in ways that prioritize the kingdom of God over ourselves. It's not about changing our priorities here. This is not the denial of our desires. Jesus is detailing a handoff of identity here. He's not just saying, give up some of your stuff that you know you shouldn't do so that you can follow me. What he's saying is this, give up your entire self. He says if you want to follow him, it's not just about accepting a list of more righteous priorities. It's about accepting an entirely different identity. It's not about fixing flaws and enhancing goodness. Jesus instructs us to lay down everything that we think we are, everything that we were up to this point, to deny it. There's a really beautiful depiction of this in Scripture. It's actually in the book of Ruth, um, back in the Old Testament. 
A woman named Naomi has two sons. The sons get married, and so now she has two daughters-in-law as well. Now, in the story, the sons die. And so Naomi is left with two daughters-in-law and no sons. She doesn't have a husband. And so she begins to go back to her people, her own place. And she tells her daughters-in-law, hey, go back to your people. Get remarried. Have a wonderful life. I'm going to go back to my people where that's where I'll die and be buried. And one of the daughters leaves. But the other one, Ruth, stays. And when Naomi again tries to send her away, this is her response in Luke chapter, or Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. She says this, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where, I go, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do, to, or do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. See, this would be a strong response today, right? If we were going somewhere together and you said, you know what, just go ahead without me, I'll, I'll be back. And I, was like, and I said, no, no, no. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And where you die, I will die. And you know, all these different things. You'd be like, my goodness, okay, whoa. This seems like a strong response in our context, but in the context of the day, this was crazy. This was show-stopping. It was unheard of because Ruth isn't just saying that she's going to take care of Naomi. What she says is that she is going to completely turn her back on her cultural identity. And at this point in the world, in this time, cultural identity was so important. It was everything. And so she says, I'm going to stay with you, Naomi. But then she also says this. She doesn't just say we're going to stay and hang out together. She says, your people are going to be my people. She says, your God is going to be my God. And then she takes all the time limits off of it by saying, where you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. She's not even going to be buried with her people. This is a complete commitment with absolutely no expiration that she's expressing to Naomi. She's saying that this is who I am now. She said, what I was, I'm no longer that anymore. I am this. I am the daughter of Naomi, and I will be with her. Her people will be my people. Her God will be my God. When she, where she dies, I will die, and there I will be buried. And really, this is the same fervor with which Jesus calls us to respond to him. To deny who we are. To lay down our identity. And it's interesting because this gives such an incredible amount of freedom as well. When we get to deny ourselves and follow Jesus and be defined by him, it takes all the pressure off for us to find our own identity. We have an identity that's been given to us. And so the first thing that we're going to hit today is this, that to deny ourselves is not to lay down our desires, it's to lay down everything we are. It's to lay down all that we have. And then once we've done that, then the next thing that Jesus tells us to do is pick up our cross. That should give you a little bit of pause. Can you imagine being there at the time where the cross was a widely used form of execution and then Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, deny yourself and then pick up your cross? What if we was like standing beside a bunch of crosses and Jesus is like, okay, there's your cross, pick it up and follow me. My first thought would be, Jesus, how far are we going to take this? I mean, is this gonna, am I going to be like the thief on the right? I mean, what's going to happen here? 
Because Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, deny yourself and pick up your cross. My question is, how would you react to that situation when your thoughts on this passage go from theoretical to actionable? When Jesus says to pick up your cross, and you're like, wait, he actually means this. Because Scripture tells us that when Jesus was up on the cross, we were on the cross too. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul starts that section by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. That we were up there. Tim Keller puts it this way, that the essence of discipleship is to realize that when Jesus died, you died. That's really significant. Because when we identify with Jesus, what happens is this. When we mess up and we want to beat ourselves up over our sins, now God says, you've already been beaten. You've already been put on the cross. You've already been crucified. You've already been punished. Your sin has already been taken care of because whenever Jesus was on the cross, he brought you up there with him. And by his wounds you are healed. So now when God looks at you, he doesn't see what you do. He sees what Jesus has done. He doesn't see your flaws. He sees his son with whom he is well pleased. And so really to take up your cross, and this is the next point, to take up your cross is to walk in the shadow of the cross in every step of our lives. To let every step that we take be something that's defined by what's been done for us. To understand that as we step, we step in the identity of Christ because of the cross. And when we mess up, that we look at those through the scope of what Jesus has done and that he has taken over our blame. He has taken over our punishment. Realizing that you have been saved and out of that salvation, you are now called to act. So decide that you want to follow Jesus. Deny who you are. Take up the identity of the cross and then follow him. But this isn't a one-time thing. And this is what I love at the very end of that passage. It goes to, excuse me, at the very end of that passage, it goes to, he says, to do it daily. He says, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't like, a, okay, once you finally get this, you're good for life. It's a, you have to daily get up and decide, I want to follow Jesus today. You have to daily get up and say, I'm going to deny myself today, who I am, to put on my identity in Christ today. You have to daily say, I'm going to take up my cross and realize that I'm walking with the identity of the cross. This has to be something that we wrestle with every single day. And some days it comes almost naturally. Some days we wake up and it's, no fall, or it's not hard at all. We just have that mindset where we're thinking through the things of God throughout the day. And some days, it's a struggle to find the desire. And really, what I think is that, that shows us what kind of relationships God is actually looking for with us. A real one. So let me ask this question. How many people in this room right now have been married for more than 20 years? Okay, yeah, that's awesome. How many people have more than 30 years? Okay, 40 years? 50 years. That's... Okay, so 45 years. 
<laughs> Some of the husbands are about to get in trouble. <laughs> okay, 45, anybody? So we have a couple of 45, 46, 47. Okay, 48. Right there, right here, is this our winner? Congratulations, you win. Oh, no. <laughs> What's that? 50, okay, so we do have a 50, okay. So a 48 and a 50, that's, you guys have got to figure it out then, right? <laughs> All right, now I've got another question. How many of you guys have been married 10 years or, or less? Okay, uh, eight years or less. Actually, we only have two. What's the, what's the number? 10? Nine. Nine. <laughs> You're a good man, you just got some points. All right. <laughs> So between nine years and 50 years, that's the marriage span that we've experienced in our church right now. That's, that's what we've got going right now. So let's talk about that for just a second. Because I would bet that what you've noticed in your marriages is what I've noticed in my marriage, is that there are some days where the butterflies come easy, some days where you look at the spouse that God has given you and you're just incredibly blessed. I can't believe God gave me this incredible person I can spend my life with. There are some days where the infatuation is natural and there are so many feelings of love. And then there are days when we're tired and days when we're tense or when we're irritable or days where we just get really easily annoyed or sometimes we just get mad at each other. Days where we're working through stuff together and we have to try harder to serve and appreciate each other. Is that just me? If it is, man, guys, pray for my wife. She has to live with me all the time. But it's not just marriages, it's also friendships. Because once you get past the superficial stuff, things can get real quick. And you can realize that you're friends with someone who holds very different opinions than you do. And sometimes when you start doing life together, you find that at some point you rub each other the wrong way. Or you wrong somebody, or you get wrong. And those are the moments where the real relationship really kicks in, where you have to fight for it. you got to want it. And that's the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us as well, not something that's superficial, not something that just makes us feel warm and fuzzy, but a real relationship. If you read the Psalms of David and you see his relationship with God, you see that there are moments where he is on the mountaintop of experiential love and saying, God, you're amazing. I, just, I feel your presence. It's awesome. And then there are other times where he's sitting there saying, God, are you going to ignore me forever? It's a real relationship. And we know that the true relationship is not found in the absence of struggle and conflict, but in the perseverance through struggle and conflict. In fact, we typically grow closer together when we step through conflict together. And so God isn't looking for superficial. He's not looking for a surface-level relationship with you. In fact, he sent his son to die so that he would be able to step into the middle of our mess and be closer to us. God is not interested in a superficial relationship with you. He wants the real thing. Because he knows us. And he wants us to know him. That's an incredible gift of the Father. But we can't know him as Father if we don't first take on our identity as his children. We can't come to God feeling like we're outsiders. We are his children. We belong in the house. We belong at the feast. We bring nothing to the table, but we belong there. 
And the identity that's given to us by God makes us a part of something that is bigger than we are or than we could be. It makes us a part of his bride. And this is where, this is, this is where we need to hit it today. We're given a new identity in Christ, but the identity that we're given by Christ is not an individual identity. It's a corporate one. It's something that he gives to us as his bride. It's not lived out as individuals. It's lived out as a corporate, or as, as a corporate body, as, as a collective, meaning that when we, you embrace the identity that's given to you by the cross and the empty grave of Jesus, when you walk in the shadow of the cross and when you're defined by Christ's actions, you join a global group of people that span thousands of years, people who, like you, have experienced the life-altering identity of Jesus. To put it another way, you become a part of the church. And what we're doing here today, right now in this room, or if you're watching at home, this is an element of the church. And it's an important element, but it's still not the whole. To be the church is to be the church all the time. It's who we are. It's not something that we put down. This is something that we take with us. We are the collective of the redeemed all the time. And God is passionate about the church. He's passionate about the church to the point that in several parts of Scripture, he refers to the church as his bride. That's passion. He refers to the church as his bride. In Ephesians, Paul, when talking about how husbands should treat their wives, uses Christ's love for the church as the example for how husbands should treat their wives. In Ephesians 5.25, says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. He treats the church like a husband treats a wife. Jesus cares about the church and its imperfection and its missteps and its successes and its failures. Jesus loves the church like a husband loves his wife to the point that he gave himself up for her. The book of Revelation talks about the coming marriage ceremony of Christ to his church. And it says this in 19.7, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. See, culturally at this time, when a man wanted to marry a woman, he would pay her dowry and then he would go and prepare a life for them. He'd get a house set up. He'd, get some, he'd make sure that they could, he could provide for them. And whenever he finally got everything set up, he would come back to get his bride. And when he'd show up, there'd be a parade. They would come to her house, and she had to be ready. So the bride would make herself ready for the groom's arrival. She would keep herself in a perpetual state of readiness because she didn't know when it was going to happen. It was an effort, but it was one that was done, not out of obligation, but out of anticipation. We as the church have a groom that will one day come for us. One day Jesus will return and call us to go with him to the place that he has prepared for us. And we need to be ready. Because Jesus didn't just leave and say, have the best life you can. Be happy, find happiness, and I'll come, I'll come get you a little bit later. Jesus doesn't drop us off like we drop our kids off at the skating rink. He left us here with a mission. And just like the bride puts on a dress, we are called to put on acts of righteousness. Now, the dress doesn't change or enhance or modify the groom's love. It's something that the bride adorns herself with to please the groom. And we have a Savior who loves us, who's already saved us. We are destined for our heavenly home. We are destined to eat at the table of the Father. But one of the steps in getting ready for the feast is getting dressed for it. 
And we're told that the clothing that we put on, the clothing that pleases the Father, are the acts of righteousness that He has called us to. The church has a mission. We have a calling in this world. And when we identify with who we are in Christ, we lay down ourselves and identify who we are through the cross and empty grave of Jesus. Then we get sent out on this mission because it's what we do from our identity. And that mission is spelled out for us in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission of the bride of Christ. To lay our plans down, to deny ourselves, to embrace the identity that God has given us and as his redeemed collective bride and then to bring the good news of this relationship to the world because we want everyone else to have the joy that we have. And we can't do that on our own. It takes the bride. It takes all of us. And that's why the last point of the day is this, that it's only when we see ourselves as the bride of Christ that we can truly adopt the mission of Christ. We're meant to do it together. We're meant to experience relationship together. We're meant to serve together. We're meant to love together, to fight together, to seek true peace together, to forgive together, to strive together together. And we have to get past the mentality that this is something that only happens inside this room once a week. Our togetherness is so much more than what happens in this room. We need to be in each other's lives. We need to grow. We need to celebrate, mourn, and step together. Because our mission is so much more than what's happening here. It's so much more. Because right now what this time right here is supposed to be is the church coming together to learn, to encourage each other, to prepare each other, to build each other up, to step out into our mission? Put it another way like this. Um, one week from today, something big is going to happen. It's going to happen in Tampa Bay, Florida. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to play the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. Um, I used to live in Kansas, so I have, I have an affinity for the Chiefs. Uh, but at the same time, I, uh, if I wanted to go to that game, I actually looked it up. It would cost me $64,000 if I was lucky enough to get the ticket. Um, but that's for front row, 50-yard line, Kansas City Chiefs side. So if I wanted to go to the Super Bowl, I'd have to shell out $64,000 for a ticket. But let's just say, hypothetically, let's just say that I did it. That I, I you know, I sold my house and I, I bought tickets to one game. And so I have a $64,000 ticket and I'm ready and I go and, and I go to the Super Bowl, right? So I drive to Tampa Bay, because I can't afford to fly. I just paid $64,000 for a ticket. I drove to Tampa Bay, Florida. I get out of the car. I go into the stadium. I'm sitting front row center. So I, I don't even have to look for my seat. I know where I'm going. So I go through all the different places, and eventually I'm walking out, and I, I can, I, well, I can't smell the, I, I can see the, the turf. I'm close enough to smell the players if I wanted to. 
Thank God for COVID and no smelling. Um, but anyway, but that's the idea, right? I'm there. I'm at the Super Bowl. I'm excited. And then all of a sudden, all the stuff starts going on and the fireworks start going off and the teams take the field, right? And we're cheering and we're excited. They get up to the center of the field. They flip the coin. They figure out what's going to happen and they get ready and they go and they huddle. It's about to happen. It's about to kick off. But they huddle for five minutes. I'm like, man, this is a long huddle. I guess on TV they cut some of this out. Then they huddle for 15 minutes. At this point, I'm like, this is just weird, right? I mean, anybody else been here before? Like, then they huddle for 25 minutes. At this point, the crowd's starting to get a little antsy. We're starting to get a little frustrated. They huddle for 45 minutes. Now stuff's being thrown onto the field. They huddle for an hour. And just when you think the whole place is about to revolt and storm the field, they go, break! I'm like, all right, finally. But then they go, break! And they all run off the field. And then the announcer comes on and says, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming out to the Super Bowl. Have a wonderful year. We'll see you next season. How furious would you be? $64,000. I drove to Tampa. And really, it's $64,000 if I'm going by myself. If I want to bring a friend, it's $128,000. And that better be a dang good friend. (laughs) How mad would you be that the team never took the field? And I say that because in John chapter 3, verse 16, we hear something that's incredible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world, that so loved the world that he paid a price. Not in money, but in flesh. In his son, in part of himself, so that we can be saved. He paid an incredible price. And I've got to wonder if he ever gets frustrated when we come into this place and we huddle for five, if we huddle for 15, 25, 45, an hour long huddle. And whenever we break it, we never actually go out and take the field. I got to wonder if he gets frustrated that we don't step into the game. When we come in and sing about and pray that his will would be done and his name be glorified, but then we go to live our normal lives with little thought into the application and movement of his word and spirit in our lives. And it's not an individual thing. It's when we step out of here as a collective. So often we step out as individuals. But what happens if we step out as the team onto the field to do the mission that he has called us to? Because I don't believe that this comes from apathy. I don't believe that we don't step out of apathy. I don't believe that we're uncaring when it comes to the true calling of the church in this world. But I do believe that we don't go 100% in. Not because we don't care, but because we still haven't denied ourselves. We still haven't taken up our identity as the church, our identity as the bride of Christ, our identity as the we instead of the me. Because when we live in the reality of the bride, our passions, our plans, our priorities begin to look like those of the groom, Jesus, and we step together. And so far, we so often get defined by the opinions that separate us and not the Savior that unites us. He calls us to the world. So let's reach for the world. 
And the best way to do that is to start with our neighbors, with the people that are around us, with the people that we see in restaurants and stores, people that Jesus dearly loves that don't know how much they need Jesus. Called to reach the world because we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We have experienced and we've been defined by his love and we want everyone else to have what we have. That's the calling. That's the identity. And everything else is superficial. We need to prioritize. We need to lay ourselves down. We need to pick up our identity. And then we need to step together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your calling. And thank you for giving us a mission in this world. God, it feels weird for me to say these things because I feel like I'm I'm one of the more selfish people. But Father, I ask that you would help us to lay down ourselves. God, help us to have the courage to trust you. And Father, I ask that you would give us opportunities to let go. God, I know this is a battle that you call us to daily, Father. Please meet us in the morning and give us the conviction and the courage to do that, to lay ourselves down, to take up our cross and to follow you. God, thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you have so much patience with us. And so, Father, I ask that as we continue, that Holy Spirit, you wouldn't let us put these things down, but that you would continually challenge us with this, Father. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So something that we do Every week, because we have this time where we have what's called our community question time, where uh, we invite you to ask each other questions based on what we just talked about as a way of taking an initial step into putting some of this in action. Well, today we don't have that, because today I want to propose to you a step. This is something that uh, we did about a year ago, and I want to keep doing it because it's important. But one of the steps that we have today is this. Uh, when you came in and sat down, you would have seen a couple of cards on your seat. One was a card uh, telling us that you were here and how can we pray for you. But the other was this little red square card that says no strings attached on the front of it. So here's the challenge. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to take this card and we want you to pray over it. We want you to think through what this could be. And then we want you to take this card and we want you to go out and find some way of serving someone. It could be something as simple as bringing a card of encouragement to a neighbor or somebody that you know. It could be tipping your waitress 20 or 200% on your meal. It could be paying for the next 10 cars behind you at the toll booth. Something that you can do that serves somebody else, that shows love to somebody else. And the card just says this, no strings attached because Jesus loves you and so do I. And on the back it says this, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. So today, in our community question time, I want to invite you to take a moment to hold this card and to begin to pray that God would not only tell you who this goes to, but what you need to do. Pray for courage. Pray for determination. Pray uh, for an idea.
And we're going to keep doing these things, and we're going to keep stepping as the church because our reach needs to be so much farther outside of ourselves. And that's what God has called us to, and that's what we're going to do as a church. And this is one step in that direction. So let's take a second, and let's just stop, and let's ask God uh, to direct us here. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would give us ideas. I ask that you would put people in our path. Not just so that we can give them a card, but God, so that we can share the life-altering relationship that you've blessed us with. God, please overwhelm us. Please step through us. Lord, I ask that we would be your hands and your feet in this world and that you would send us out on the mission that you called us to. And Father, I ask that you wouldn't let us do it by ourselves. God, I ask that you would bring the church together around each other and that we would step as a body. And not just the church of Lakewood, God, but the church of your church, the church of the world. The church of your kingdom. Please help us to be defined by who you are. Please help us to put down our own identities and embrace the identity that you've given us, the identity that you've created us for. And Father, that we would go out with a desire to see people that need you and to bring you to the world. God, we ask for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we ask these things in the name and in the power of Jesus Christ. Amen.